Hi, I'm David. And I'm Maddie. And you're listening to Legend Logic. For episode two of the Disgusting or Illegal Foods. Yeah, we got a doozy today. This, we've been waiting for this one for a while. I know, I'm really excited about this one. I do have to warn you though, it's going to seem like I'm never going to bring up food. Okay. And then I'll eventually bring up the food, but I have to, I have to really set the stage. Sure. Like a massive stage. Okay. As long as the stage, the setting the stage is enjoyable, which it sounds like you're excited about, so... It's going to be great. Sweet. Go for it. Today we are going to talk about grave robbers, or resurrectioners, as they were called. During the early 1800s, more and more prestigious medical schools were popping up around the country, and the number one thing that medical students need to learn are cadavers, dead bodies. And that's not really something you can get in the back-to-school aisle at Um, the store. I'm already very concerned about how food is going to tie in here, but, you know, continue. So obviously, no one at the time wanted to be operated on by a doctor who'd only learned from books, but no one really wanted to offer anyone they knew as a study subject post-mortem either. Dissection of the body at the time was seen as sacrilegious, disrespectful, and honestly just gross, so schools usually had to resort to paying a resurrectioner or becoming one themselves to steal bodies out of graveyards to work on and learn from. These are like established medical facilities would use stolen bodies? Yes. (laughs) Okay. We're about to talk about Columbia here in a minute. Like the country? No, the school. Oh, okay. In Central Europe, there was a distribution process where authorities gave unclaimed corpses to medical schools, but America didn't have anything like that at this point. Okay. So legally, medical schools were only given the bodies of executed criminals because they were deemed like the only ones worthy of being dissected after death. And because they needed to meet a quota of bodies in order to teach medical students, it was very common for school staff, doctors, and even the students themselves to become grave robbers. Obviously, this was illegal. If caught, a resurrectioner could be charged with a misdemeanor for grave digging, but people were seldom prosecuted. Lawyers could easily argue around it, saying that since the previous occupant had vacated the body, its ownership was in doubt. Interesting. Politicians protected grave robbing in the name of the common good, and the police looked the other way unless they were forced to take action. How long... Are you aware of how long this, like, went on for? Because it seems like there was just, like, a lot of, like, laws that clearly needed to be put on the books. But like, a long time. Really? Yeah, we'll get into it. It seems like it should have been a very temporary stage, but no, apparently it wasn't. Nope. So body snatching, grave robbing, resurrectionering, whatever you want to call it, um, was usually seen as a victimless crime unless the cemetery pressed charges, but even that never really happened because cemeteries were often in on it or, like, paid off. Mm, wouldn't have expected that but okay yeah so body snatching required some serious work 
So in the dead of night, the robbers would start by digging at the head of the coffin, and when they reached the coffin, they would break the lid with their shovels and then secure a large hook around the victim's neck or armpit. And from there, they used like a makeshift pulley system to like hoist the body up from the grave and then just fill in the dirt of the smaller hole like nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have the whole coffin out. That makes sense. I feel like I would expect in that with that type of removal that the body would come apart sometimes or is that am I not understanding decomposing corpses correctly? No, what they would do is they would basically stake out the cemeteries and watch for the funerals that happened that day. Oh, yeah, I I guess that's true. They had to be relatively fresh bodies, huh? Yeah, so they would basically dig up people who had only been in their graves for, like, a few hours or a day or two Hmm. days. Like, not very long. And did they not do a lot of, like, chemical treatment and stuff on, like, dead bodies at the time? No, there was no embalming at the time. So it was just body in the ground. Hmm. So grave robbing became so bad that there are actual patents in existence for grave guarding devices that would injure or even kill would-be robbers. Wow, it's like booby trapped. Yes, uh. <laughs> yes. So this is honestly like not even getting us to the food, but like I have to talk about this because it's just like wild. So we're going to. Okay. So both of these people that invented these things are from Ohio. Of course they are. Ohio's wild. That okay. perfectly makes sense. Of course. So Philip K. Clover of Columbus, Ohio, was the first to patent a version of what they call a coffin torpedo. That sounds like a joke. His patent was published on October 8th, 1878. So the torpedo was kind of like a shotgun. It was attached to the top of the lid inside the coffin and then also wired to the corpse. Okay. And it would be triggered when somebody tried to open the lid and it would just shoot out. 36 caliber lead balls out, out. Okay, so it was literally a gun. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. A probate judge in Circleville, Ohio, named Thomas N. Howell, was also credited for patenting a version of this on December 20th, 1881, but it functioned more like a landmine. So a shell would be buried above and like near the coffin and filled with a pound of black powder. It would ignite at any uh, physical disturbance. And the coffin would be protected by like this metal contraption that would both protect the dead body and also direct the force of the blast like up towards Mm. the grave robber. Interesting. But it wouldn't be set off just by walking over it. No. You would have to like dig down into the earth. Still, that's like pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So an advertisement for this uh, landmine style device. Oh, I can't wait for the marketing for this. No, this is going to give you like a little like sweet treat as to like what we're going to get into with the food thing. So listen closely. The advertisement read, Sleep well, sweet angel. Let no fears of ghouls disturb thy rest. For above thy shrouded form lies a torpedo ready to make minced meat of anyone who attempts to convey you to the pickling vat. Gross. You'll understand more in a minute. I'm sure I will. <laughs> All right. So grave robbing got so bad that there were at least 17 American uh, anatomy riots that took place before the Civil War even happened. So it's when like mobs would like descend on different medical schools because they were just so angry about what was happening and they knew the medical schools were to blame. Well, it just it blows my mind that there's this like huge need to train mm-hmm. your medical professionals. Yeah, but nobody you- wants to. Yeah. And, like, these people are mad at these hospitals, Uh but they are providing them no solution. So, 
Yeah. So these uh, anatomy riots, they happened in Boston, Cleveland, Philadelphia, Baltimore, St. Louis, lots of other major cities. Fun fact, in 1788, there was a riot on Columbia College. And legend has it that a student was working on a dissection when some boys on the street like saw him through a window. And the student was annoyed that there were children gawking at him while he was, you know, trying to do his schoolwork. So he tried to scare them away by saying, this is your mom's arm. I just dug it up. Ha ha. Like trying to scare the little boys. Oh, sick. Unfortunately for him, one of those little boys had just lost his mom. And so he immediately went and told his dad and the town rioted and came to the building like looking for revenge. And there was one man who stood on the steps of this medical school and begged the mob not to destroy the school, basically defended grave robbing for the common good. Who was that man? Somebody famous? Yep. What year was this? 1788. Alexander Hamilton? Alexander Hamilton! (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, John Jay was there too, but um, he actually got hit in the head with a rock. Somebody in the crowd like just yeeted a rock into Man. John Jay's head. So. Hamilton just showing up at all these, you know, important know. moments. He's so cool. All right, so now I've given you kind of like an overview of how grave robbing happens, like what it's doing to the society, like what's going on, right? So after the grave robbers get the body out of the grave, they have to have a place to take it. So obviously nine times out of 10, they're selling it straight to a medical school. But sometimes medical schools acted as the middleman between body snatchers and other paying customers. So for instance, Baltimore, Maryland often supplied New England and the Midwest in the winter when it when the ground would like freeze over yeah, because right. it was too hard to like dig to dig the ground back up. So in the 1820s, the University of Maryland had no problem keeping up with their demand for corpses once they hired a man named Frank. Frank was listed as the building's janitor, but he really supplied corpses for the school. This was like his job. Yeah. (laughs) Frank was so good at body snatching that the medical school suddenly found itself with a surplus of, of cadavers. And they got to thinking and they decided that they could raise more funds for the school using these bodies. I'm very concerned about Frank. They began shipping the surplus bodies to colleges and universities that lacked a good snatcher like Frank. Now, the trick to sending dead bodies discreetly across the country, right? They can't, you know, horse and buggy it around and they can't just like throw them on a train and walk away. Not only would the bodies like not be kept well that way, but it would also reek and everybody would know what you were doing. So instead, they would fold up the bodies as best they could, smash them down, Mm -hmm. into barrels filled with whiskey to mask the odor. So it just looks like they're shipping barrels of whiskey to each other. Okay, makes sense. In a letter to a colleague in Maine, a professor in Baltimore boasted of Frank the Body Snatcher's success, assuring that a better man never lifted a spade. In this letter, he also describes the pricing for these services. Would you like to hear them? For the getting the bodies? Yeah. Sure, I would love to. Okay. So you could get three bodies stored in whiskey for $50, but the barrel would cost a dollar, and then they would charge you 35 cents per gallon for the whiskey, and then the sheer service of getting the bodies out of the ground would be $10 each, so that's like $30. So to get three bodies in a barrel of whiskey in 1820, you're looking at about $95, mm-hmm. which today would be... 
still feel like that's not that much. That's not that much for three dead bodies. Are you kidding me? It's a lot of dead bodies. So you think that that would be the end of it. You know, everybody has the money. Everybody has what they wanted. They got the bodies. But no. After reaching the final destination, the body or bodies would be removed from the barrel and used for dissection. And the whiskey would be sold to the public as a stiff drink for extra cash. And they wouldn't wouldn't tell people, obviously, what it had been used for. I mean, these are these business people are just like they're finding a way to monetize like really all the different their parts line of this. Here. Yeah. Wait. So is it the people that are getting the bodies that are selling the whiskey? Yes. Okay. So they're interesting. Yeah, okay. they're getting some of their money back. Yeah. Surviving accounts of this legend that this actually happened claim that either the poor students that didn't have any money would drink it because they had no other source of liquor, like no, right. o- no and, other source you know, of a good time. You got to have alcohol but as like, a college student. So. But like they also, I mean, do you think they knew at this time that like germs worked like that? I genuinely don't know if they did. Yeah. I don't know when, like when like everybody woke up to, to bacteria germs. and germs and I don't stuff remember. more so, but these are like, these are medical facilities that are yeah. reselling this uh-huh. whiskey. So yeah. So, Either they didn't care or they didn't know. Right. So beyond the poor students drinking it, the other claim is obviously that medical institutions sold it to kind of um, more questionable establishments that wouldn't ask, you know, where this whiskey sure. came from. But this created the term rot gut whiskey. The term rot gut whiskey has changed over the years. In the 1920s, it referred to potentially toxic liquor, and it was common to see that word in news headlines because of prohibition and people were, you know, stooping to make alcohol out of like methanol and like other things Mm -hmm. that could lead to blindness and death. So like the newspapers would be like, rot gut whiskey gets another one. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. So nowadays, rock gut whiskey just refers to really cheap, low quality liquor. So you'll see people online who are like, "I'm a rock gut whiskey man," and I'm like, "Dude." Oh, I've never like heard it used like that in modern day. But sorry if anybody out there is a rock gut whiskey man. I'm not trying to offend you. <laughs> I don't. That almost sounds pretentious to a degree. Yeah, the act of body snatching has obviously changed as well. Philosopher Jeremy Bentham, who was the founder of utilitarianism, Mm -hmm. became the first person to donate his body to science in 1832, and he did it in part to lessen the stigma of dissection. Today, most bodies dissected in medical schools are gifts from the previous occupants. There are still shortages that happen today, but not as much body thievery. And I'm saying not as much body thievery because I can't guarantee you that there is absolutely no body thievery happening. I would really hope it's at least greatly reduced. I would really, really hope so as well. But, you know, here we are. This is the world. With that being said, that is the story of Rock Gut Whiskey. That's where it comes from. You have all the facts. My first question to you is, do you think if you were so passionate to be a doctor... Would you have stooped that low to get your education? I think yes, honestly. I think I probably would have. I hesitate to say that I actually would have done it. But if I found out other people were doing it or that the bodies I was working on were gotten that way, I don't think I would have had a problem with it. Just because I think that once we die, we leave. And I like I don't particularly care that much what happens to my body after mm-hmm. I'm gone. So I feel like we have to take into account, though the beliefs at the time Mm -hmm. 
if we were raised during this time, to us, that would have been like defilement. I don't know. Yeah, well, and I mean, you know, it depends on the culture too, but I also think the farther back you go in time in general, the stronger people felt about how bodies were treated after you died. I feel like that idea has lessened over time as well, but I still think in other cultures it's pretty... It's pretty intense. But yeah, I mean, I don't think I would have had much of a problem with it, to be honest. <laughs> My next question is, do you believe that Frank really existed? Or do you think that's an urban legend? I mean, I certainly think there's some truth to it. I think there was probably a guy named Frank who was really good at body <laughs> snatching. I thought, honestly, when you were saying that, like, I started to worry, like, are we sure this guy is getting his bodies from graveyards or is he like... I, I was hoping you were going to bring that up. Yeah, because like, I mean, because you love like stories of murder and serial killers. I was half expecting you to be like, he wasn't actually digging up these bodies. He was uh, killing them and selling them. No, so that's actually called burking. And it refers to Burke and Hare, who were uh, two serial killers that were actually in Europe um, oh, okay. before this who they made money selling bodies to a local doctor so he could teach students and they were killing people and then bringing bringing them to the doctor and the doctor just like didn't ask didn't tell like nothing interesting and so um anytime that that happened in history it's called burking and no i don't believe that frank was burking anybody because nobody was going missing Mm -hmm. like nobody was you know mia it was Mm -hmm. just people leaving their bodies wait so around the time you mentioned frank you said that they would have to outsource getting their bodies during the winter you know when it would get cold in the area was frank in an area where it didn't get cold or he was able to get bodies despite what temperature it was so um i don't know what baltimore maryland is like to be honest with you but what from what i read baltimore supplied a lot of the more northern areas Mm -hmm. with bodies because while it might not have been, you know, summer all year round, it was yeah. warmer than the north. Yeah, it doesn't get as cold there. It's, Baltimore is very close to D.C. So. Oh, okay, cool. Then yeah. I know what that's like. Mm-hmm. But I was curious if you thought maybe Frank didn't exist because his last name has, quote, been lost to history. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that that adds to the mystique of it and everything. And I feel like his skill at body snatching has probably been exaggerated maybe to a degree, but I feel like he was probably like the best there was at I mean, body snatching. if they're really supplying a bunch of other schools with bodies, like he must be pretty good. Otherwise, like... Either that or he's just, he knows the right people. It's who you know. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like maybe he had some friends that he was doing it with. Like he was outsourcing some of his work. I don't know. Man. I feel like to have one guy who was supplying it to that school and him alone was supplying it to a bunch of other schools, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty incredible and definitely worth a legend. <laughs> All right, my last question is... I told you that surviving accounts said that poor students would drink the rot gut whiskey mm-hmm. or that it would be sold to local saloons. Do you think that that actually happened? 100% I think that happened. And it's because like my mind immediately went to that like most expensive coffee in the world or whatever that like they like get what? the beans and then they feed them to monkeys and then the monkeys digest it. They poop it out. And then they get the coffee from the poop and they sell it as that. And what? Yeah. Is, what? <laughs> it's really crazy. But 
Yeah, and I, I don't know, it's something about the monkey's digestive system or something is supposed to add some kind of flavor. That is foul. Yeah, but anyway, it's the most expensive coffee in the world. People certainly drink it, and that's just, you know, your coffee and caffeine situation. I think people would go to farther lengths to get alcohol for cheap. <laughs> so Man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I believe all these legends happen, but that's because, you know, I've I've drunk the Kool-Aid or the Rocket Whiskey, I yeah, guess. I'm yeah. on board. I'm very much on but board. But you have not actually consumed any no, Rocket no, no, Whiskey. No, no. I mean, I've consumed some really cheap whiskey, sure, for sure, sure. But, but not, not dead body. Yeah, yeah no. Mm-hmm. My gut is not actually rotting, nor did I drink anybody's rotting guts. Sure. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, but I, I guess I'm I'm like mostly on board with this whole legend. I like this one a lot. Good. I'm glad. I could honestly talk about this all day, and I honestly had so many other stories that I could have like sprinkled in here and there. Okay. But I was like, I just got to get to the to the rock gut whiskey. So right. I tried to keep my my uh, setting the stage short. So mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed it. I loved it. <laughs> I hope everyone out there loved it too. Let us know what you think. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at Legend Logic Podcast, or you can send us an email at legendlogicpodcast at gmail.com. Woo! We hope that you keep listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye!